Life Audio. Welcome to the Homeschooling Families Podcast. I'm Leslie Nunnery, and I am so glad you're here. This week's topic is an important one, as we'll be looking at homeschool co-op security and safety. I wish this was a topic that didn't require serious consideration, But in the day and age we live in, we must have a solid plan to protect our kiddos when they're at co-op, church, etc. I'm excited to be joined by Michael Mann today. Michael is a Marine Corps and law enforcement veteran currently serving as an expert in physical protection for both the corporate sector and for faith-based organizations. He has some incredible insights to offer us all. This is an episode that I hope you'll share with your co-op and tutorial leaders to make sure they have this information as well. So stay tuned. Before we dive in, I want to tell you about our heart school class. You've probably heard me refer to heart schooling or heart schoolers quite a bit on the show already, but I wanted to make sure you understood where it came from. I wrote Heart School to help parents like you get more clarity about what God has called you to do, and then to see how you can find a lot of peace for your own heart and for your family by allowing the vision that God has given you to guide your day-to-day decisions. The clarity Heart School will provide will help you remove friction in your relationships. It'll give you confidence that you're doing what is best and that you can do it well. It'll bring clarity, peace, and structure to your days, and it'll guide your everyday decisions with your vision in mind. I sincerely believe that every homeschool family, whether you're just starting out or whether you've been homeschooling for a long time, will benefit from Heart School. The class is digital, so you can watch it at your own pace, and many couples have benefited from walking through it together. It contains several worksheets designed to make you think about and come up with strategies about things you may not have considered before. So go to teachthemdiligently.net forward slash heart school to learn more and enroll today. Now, won't you join me in welcoming Michael Mann to the podcast today? Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. Well, it is, it's really good to have you here today. And you know, as I, I kind of alluded to in the introduction, it's really easy for us to be naive and adopt kind of an it couldn't happen here attitude. But how big of a deal is it that parents and leaders are are really tuned in and focused on these safety issues while our kids are away from us? It, I mean, it is important. So, you know, what you're asking about is risk or, you know, a homeschool or maybe a co-op's exposure to a hazard. And even though the likelihood of, and what we're talking about is intentional threats, right? So we're talking about somebody coming in to intentionally harm children while they're at these locations, you know, when they're away from their homes, the likelihood of that's pretty low. But the problem with risk is we always have vulnerability and consequence that's also part of that measurement. And unfortunately, in any location, that system weakness or vulnerability and that consequence is always high and critical, which always makes this a, a very, it's, it's a high risk piece to look at. And so, so it is very, very important for everybody to understand that the risk is high and the likelihood is low. There needs to be planning and preparation and people need to be aware of what needs to what needs to happen just in case. Yeah. So what then are some of the threats that would pose those risks? 
what are the threats that homeschools would be or homeschool co-ops, uh, tutorials, that sort of thing would be facing? Yeah. So just generally, and I, I don't want to get too technical, but, you know, in most security or most emergency action plans for any facility, any location, generally we have three types of threats. We have intentional threats, which are caused by human beings. We have uh, inadvertent threats or those things we can't plan for. And that's things like medical emergencies, slips, trips and falls, et cetera. You know, it's kids. And so those happen. Uh, and then we have natural events, which are like weather related. And so, you know, like I'm, we're, I'm in the south of middle Tennessee and, you know, there's all kinds of atmospheric interruptions here. So we get everything, everything from tornadoes to snow to floods, whatever. And, you know, throughout the U.S., everybody has the same problem. So in general, we, we break those down into three threats. And most of the time, we really only focus on or everybody only focuses on the intentional piece, which is where the likelihood is low. But we still need to worry about those inadvertent. So medical emergencies, slips, trips and falls, accidents and weather. But of course, there is a, a big emphasis and there should be on that intentional threat, which is that person that wants to come in because of something that we believe, because, you know, it is a space where there are a large number of children, you know, in, in a space, they're packed inside that space. There's, you know, there's limited exits or planning. And so that makes it very advantageous for someone of ill intent to come in and do some, you know, to do harm. So those are the three points and we do focus on that intentional piece. Yeah. You know, actually, even as you were talking Whenever I hear about threats, it's only that that I think of. I, I honestly, and I, it, you're right. It's way more likely that somebody's going to fall or trip or, you know, get hurt inadvertently. Or we actually have a lot more natural type things that come through that could pose a threat. But we immediately, I think, go to those intentional threats and they do seem relatively unlikely, which is, I think, why we may be a little bit more apathetic about this, this topic than we should be. Absolutely. So, yeah, security is all about prevention and it's preventing, you know, any type of threat that could occur, anything that's going to cause a problem or a loss to something that you want to protect, you know, your children. And so absolutely, you have kids that come in and they have food allergies, especially if you're serving food at those co-ops. They have medical, you know, they have, uh, you know, they have medical issues. And sometimes depending on what policies and procedures have in place, maybe the teachers know, maybe they do not. Again, weather, you know, springtime, winter, whatever. These are all things we have to address, and those are the more likely events. And most of the time, you're absolutely right. The co-ops, the facilities, they're not they're not prepared for those events. But again, we do need to focus on the intentional. But we have these other two that people just completely forget about. Yeah, yeah, and yes, I am. <laughs> I am honestly just convicted about that right now. So, and I'm sure a lot of people listening in are too. Well, let's talk. Let's kind of get down to the just the baseline level. Because I imagine that with running a co-op or, you know, the same would be said about a church activity or anything like that, that there are actually some some legal requirements since we are dealing with children that we need to be aware of. So let's kind of start down at that low level and then build up from there so that we make sure that everyone listening can understand how to be most prepared. Sure. Yeah, so if we start talking about legal requirements for security, and I'll use, I'm in Nashville, or just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, here in Middle Tennessee, and, you know, kind of give an example of some things that we deal with with co-ops here sometimes. And so, yeah, the legal requirement, you know, if you're in, you know, I, I'm, I'm making some assumptions here. I can't validate all of them. So, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to, we're talking about a co-op that's leasing a, you know, a space in a church. Cause that's like here. That's where that happens. So yeah, on the basics, right? If, if you guys were, you know, if you were hiring security or you were trying to have somebody in place, you know, obviously there needs to be some sort of understanding between the church and that co-op because the church needs to report that to the insurance company. 
So as a co-op, if I'm going to hire some sort of contract security person, or I'm going to have somebody volunteer and they're going to be armed, or even if I'm going to hire an off-duty police officer, you know, the church needs to be notified because even though, you know, maybe you guys are leasing that space from that church, there's still going to be some liability to that church if something happens. There's still, you know, there's still going to be some issues. So number one, the church needs to be notified. Number one, just so they agree. So they're right. going to agree what you guys are doing. And two, so they can know that notify their insurance company and make sure that their insurance company doesn't have an issue with that risk. And then there are some things wrapped around because in Tennessee, it's different than other states. Like, you know, if you've got somebody volunteering, even though you guys are leasing the space from the church, you know, if it is a co-op, is that a school under that state law? And if it, if it is, what does the state law say about guns on that property? You know, can it only be a police officer? Can it only be a contract security organization with a contract and a binding agreement in place? And those are things that we see a lot here in Middle Tennessee. There'll be a volunteer like a grandfather that's retired, you know, and he's got a carry permit. But when they're leasing that space at it actually could be a school and there's requirements in the state of Tennessee for that. And then we see that those, you know, no one knows about it because nobody ever asked the question. Right. And then I'll step in and do a risk assessment. I'll come back and say, hey, first of all, if you notified the church about this, if they notified their insurance company, by the way, this volunteer legally can't have a weapon here. And if he goes out and stops somebody in the parking lot, which is actually outside the lease space, he has he or she has no right to do that. And it puts the co-op and the church in risk of some sort of civil and maybe criminal liability. And so those are things that some of the questions that you would want to ask if you're having security set up, you know, who knows what's what's the requirements for the insurance company, what are the state requirements to have people armed or unarmed, et cetera. Yeah. And this is such an important conversation to have. We're told, you know, we're, we're told in God's word to do all things excellently, to do it heartily. And I think we get really haphazard about doing our due diligence on some of these what may seem like peripheral issues as we're kind of all focused on getting the classes set up and doing this, that, and the other. But these are really important issues and they do fall under doing things excellently. And, and even having a testimony with, with the church, with the, the state organizations, with the insurance company, with all of these things, making sure that we are dotting our I's and crossing our T's and, and doing things the right way. Absolutely. And, you know, as believers, you know, we, and you touched on a good point. We're told to pray for wisdom. You know, we need wisdom from the Lord. And so I, I do, I see this all the time. There's, there's always this good faith. People want to do like good things to protect. But uh, again, they forget about those things that could slip up behind us or behind that facility and really cause harm and has nothing to do with the intentional piece. It's got to do with somebody doing something illegal and they had no idea that was the case. And there is an incident. And then on top of dealing with an incident, now there's well, the civil litigation because someone was armed and they weren't supposed to be. There wasn't a contract security in place. The church didn't know about the plan. So, yeah, these are all things that, again, you know, I, I see quite a bit when we start to talk to co-ops here in Middle Tennessee, some things that they just don't have in place. Right. And it's so easy for those things to be used to to even shut us down, to close down things organizations or activities that that could really do a lot of good. But because we didn't take the time to set things up correctly, we are exposed. And through that exposure, we can actually find ourselves shut down or, you know, find or whatever in such a way that makes it really difficult to move forward with the ministry that we're trying to do. Absolutely. And again, why we're supposed to pray for wisdom and also to be diligent. Anything, anything for the kingdom will always face resistance. Right. 
And so <laughs> if we're not planning and we're not being diligent and we're not praying and asking for wisdom and we're not taking our time and we're not, you know, it, you know, we're not validating those things that we're supposed to, to take a look at it and make sure that we're doing, then I'm not going to say that we're asking for trouble, but we're doing something, you know, we're ignoring something that's there and, and I don't want to call it disobedience. I think it's just ignorance. Right. But and, and again, it's not, you know, it's, I'm not shaming anybody because a lot of people don't know, but the, these are questions that need to be asked. And, uh, you know, some of these resources are online. You know, you can, you know, do some research on the state on your own. Now, some of it gets technical for people, you know, for people like us to come in and explain it. But again, we, we do need to pay attention because again, anything for the kingdom will meet resistance and it will be shut down as quick as possible, even by those people who we think are there to help us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, so important to think about this stuff in advance and to make sure that we are doing things the right way. You've mentioned a couple of times about risk and prevention and and kind of getting ahead of these things. So I wanted to kind of have you unpack that for us a little bit and really tell us what does it mean to have security and prevention and, and a plan in place to to accomplish those things? So I always break down and, and understand my mindset changed back in 2011. So, you know, I, I was in the Marine Corps. I was an anti-terrorism guy there. I was a full-time SWAT guy in, in law enforcement and then went into physical protection after 9-11 for the government and uh, then went into the private sector. And I studied and worked in Israel for a couple of years. And when I was studying there in 2011, it was a Tel Aviv University going through all this training. And they have a different mindset than us on this prevention piece and about Seeing something before, you know, West, the Western mindset is very, is very responsive in nature because we are able to have things here that no one else in the world can have, you know, weapons, you know, safety, you know, just elements of safety that other people legally cannot have. And so, you know, that this, this, what I learned from them really kind of changed my trajectory, I guess, of what physical protection looks like. So prevention really is broken down for anything. I don't care if it's a church or if it's a co-op. If there's three pieces. There's awareness, there's planning, and then there's training and certification. The awareness piece gets into, number one, being aware of the law. What what can I do? What can I not do? Number two is really an assessment piece with awareness, understanding what the risks are. What are those hazards? What are those intentional threats? What are those inadvertent threats? And what are those natural threats going to be? And so in somewhere, maybe that's written down, it's provided for you. So someone comes in and does that for you. Or you guys figure that out on your own. So that's the awareness piece. It lets me know what am I trying to protect these wonderful children and these and these parents and these families and these teachers against, number one. And it needs to be validated too, based on, you know, an assessment piece or research. Okay. The second, you know, the, I'm sorry, did I cut you off? No, 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 no. I'm I'm actually just making notes here. <laughs> so <laughs> I was I was just okay, let's this is so good. I'm I'm writing as fast as I can to keep up with you because okay. I think that this is so important to have available for all of those who are listening in so that they can actually, you know, kind of extract this and mull it over and pass it on as well. Sure. And so the first piece of prevention is really awareness. What, are, what exactly what are we trying to protect everybody from? And real, believe it or not, most people really have no idea. They just make an assumption on this intentional piece, right? The active assumption. The second piece is truly the planning piece. And I was in the government regulated after uh, industries after serving with the government for 20 years for a long time. And I wrote emergency management plans and 
physical protection plans for critical infrastructure. So when I talk about this, I'm not talking about a plan that's 75 pages that no one's going to pick up or remember. I'm talking about a document like an emergency action plan that says, based on what the threats are, you know, what is, if this happens, this is what we do. And, you know, I've created these for co-ops in the past, and they might be six pages. It might be a six-page Word document that's stored electronically somewhere. So the, the next piece is, once we figure out in the awareness piece of what are we trying to protect these people or these children from, it's, hey, if this happens, this is what we do, and this is how we do it. And it's, you know, some of this is as simple as, you know, we go into lockdown or, you know, if this child is choking, this is this is how we do the Heimlich maneuver. If there's a, uh, if the child goes into anaphylactic shock, you know, this is where, you know, this is where his EpiPen is and this is how to use it. You know, if there's a tornado watch or warning, what do we do during that warning? And what I see most of the, none of this is written down for co-ops is because they're there for a short amount of time during the week and then they leave and there's this assumption or, or maybe it is just, you know, they just don't know that these things are going to happen. So the planning piece is, Taking out of the awareness what we learned, what the hazards were, how are we going to deal with it? What is what are we going to do? And again, it's very simple. These these could be bullet points. And then the last piece is you know just as important the other two, and that is the training and certification that comes along with that. And that you know so that is who's certified in CPR? Did you also get certified in first aid so you know how to help somebody with an EpiPen? If a child you know falls down or God forbid there is an intentional threat, people are stabbed or shot. Can somebody stop the bleeding until EMS gets there? Because depending on where you are, it might be 25 minutes before they get there. And so those are the three pieces of, of, of prevention. It is awareness. What's the problem? Then there is, you know, in the assessment piece. And then there is the planning, which is the document that you guys have that tell you what to do. And then, of course, there's the training and certification. Right. Well, so if we are actually kind of going through these steps, if we are making ourselves aware, doing some study understanding the law, making an assessment of the risks and that sort of thing, coming up with our emergency action plan and then getting the training and certifications. And we do all of these things internally. So you've got teachers, you've got volunteers, you've got people who are doing all of this. There's still, it would seem, be a role for either, like I think you alluded to earlier, either law enforcement or a, a private security of some sort that can be there, probably because of laws of who can be on campus. And so what is what would be the role of those outsiders in our planning and preparation? Yeah, so two pieces. One, it could be that security person that comes in and does the work for you, right? So they come in and they tell you what the pro the issues are. They do a quick assessment for you, which for co-ops, it's usually pretty quick, right? It's not a, not a huge school. It's not a nuclear or chemical facility. So <laughs> most of the time, that's very quick. And most of the time, if it's a full-service security vendor or a consultant, so it's not a company, a security company, it's a vendor, right? Or a security consultant, they can also set up the planning piece, write those plans for you, and then they can also certify those. And the certification, uh, a lot of times, again, is a lot of it's just a medical response piece and maybe some situational awareness. So that's the piece on the prevention. But, you know, you're right. There's another piece, which is if someone's going to provide physical protection, what does that mean? And let, let me just say this before we go any, you know, any further into this. And this was hard for me to understand many years ago as I kind of changed my mindset on physical protection and prevention. And I want everybody to hear this correctly. Guns do not protect people. And I say that as a Marine Corps veteran, a full-time SWAT team member, a former bodyguard, somebody who's managed bodyguards. 
I was a SWAT team commander protecting government nuclear facilities all over the country. I mean, we're talking about weapons, not not just, you know, not just reactors, not the commercial side. And somebody who is who specializes in this, guns do not protect people. Our awareness, our planning, and our training is what prevents things from occurring. And the gun, because if, if, if guns protected facilities, there would be no school shootings by 16-year-old kids that walk in with a weapon with armed police officers there. We sometimes respond and sometimes do not. That would never happen. And so first of all, understand the idea of a uniformed police officer or someone in uniform with a weapon physically does not deter someone from, especially the intentional threats that we're discussing now, does not deter someone from attacking your facility. It's the awareness piece and then uh, actually psychologically being impacted when they see someone looking, look at them and engage with them. That is what actually deters or impacts that motivation. And so the security piece could be a police officer, right? That, that's, that's aware, you know, because we always think that, you know, if we have one on site, they see the car, the gun, that's going to stop it. I will tell you statistically, that's not true. You know, it could be a plain clothes, very situationally aware security person you're paying or volunteering. You know, maybe it's a volunteer, it's a dad or whatever, or a grandfather, as long as the loss is that you can do that. You've made that arrangement with the church. So it could be a very aware and, uh, just, you know, just very motivated person. And I will tell you some of the most effective security forces I've seen, and I've been all over the world, worked all over the world doing this, are those where you don't see weapons and they're on post somewhere and they're very engaging and they're friendly. But like when you look at them and when you see them away from that facility, you know, if you're away looking at that place, man, they're all over the place. They're watching, they're engaged with everybody. That is the deterrent piece. And so you, we could have that, or it could be a contract security company where, again, we've got another uniform presence with somebody with a weapon or not that, again, is making rounds. Maybe they're, you know, they've got a post order to follow. So those are the two pieces. You've got this consultant piece that comes in that does some of this work for you. And then you've got on the protection side who is physically there to do these things. And of course, again, there's nothing wrong with the police or the security person that's providing protection also being certified and trained in that medical piece also. Right, right. Do you find that there is a big misunderstanding about whether it be having someone uniformed or armed that is, you know, clearly out there? Do you think that there may be a false sense of security just by putting that piece in place? Yes, very false sense of security. Uh, uh, prevention, again, it, it is about, and I would, I would much rather think about this too. These are faith-based organizations, and there are three basic design elements in physical protection. One, the most important is something called conflict avoidance. And I tell churches this, we work with a lot of big ministries throughout the country. And one thing that I will tell a church, especially when we're setting up and designing their volunteer security teams, is we don't need to see weapons. We don't need to see security uniforms. Here's what we need to see. We need to see somebody friendly that smiles, that's very vigilant, and that's taught how to do that, that engages with people that come into that facility because they, number one, they have ownership within that facility or that church or that ministry or co-op. And two, that engagement that they're having, and that can be in plain clothes. It doesn't need to be with a uniform because if I'm watching a facility and I'm planning to attack it because every attacker will come on site and take a look first. They're going to conduct house-to-house surveillance. When they see that engaged, you know, plain clothes person that's paying attention, they're going to know exactly who that person is. And the other part of this deterrence piece is, Man, this is somebody that's watching, and I'm not going to be able to just sneak in here with a weapon without being detected. Right. And 
So not only does this non-uniform, friendly, engaging person, not only is that effective, and Israelis have been doing this for years, we're just, and here in the West, we're not very good at it, but <laughs> also, man, it fits along with a mission, which is this, you know, we have a mission here. This is a ministry, and those people that are allowed in here, we want to make sure that we're friendly to them, that, that we love on them, and that anybody that comes in, even if they're unaware of what's happening here, and they're, they're not here to do harm, that they, when they walk in, that they're greeted and they're engaged and that they feel good. And that is conflict avoidance. And that's what is so important in ministries when we start, start talking about physical protection. It's not a nuclear weapons facility. It's not a chemical site. It's not an airport. I don't need people walking around with uniforms and weapons. I need a vigilant, friendly person that's engaged with people. That is what I need. That I love the way that you framed that within the mission, too, how we are even as part of that, you are doing what God has called you to do, and that is engage with people, show them love, actually have conversations. And it's true when people are seen in that way, it's certainly going to be a deterrence because of a myriad of reasons. But I really, truly appreciate the way that you position that in a missional way, because I'd never looked at it that way before. If we look at when, you know, Christ was arrested and taken away. Is he's in the garden, he's praying, he's, he's up all night. When they when they came to get him, you know, Peter, you know, you know, tried to stop that. And there's this misunderstanding because, you know, of the versions of the Bible that we read are like translations, that there was a sword and he cut this person's ear off. Well, actually, he didn't have a sword, he had a knife. It was a sickle. It was this very it was a handheld knife and it was concealed. And so there's a couple things that I get out of that from both both scripturally as a believer. And from a security standpoint, number one, you know, they were armed like Peter. Peter had a knife. Now, you know, the son of man is walking around with a disciple. So why in the world would they have to be armed? Because at any time, Christ had called the angels down and protected them from anything. But he didn't do that. Right? He, he, you know, they were apparently they, they, they were armed. They had weapons and they were concealed because we don't hear anything about weapons anywhere outside of that. Well, that scripture. So here's what that tells me. It was a dangerous place. Jerusalem was very dangerous, especially at that time, you know, under Roman occupation, especially for Jews, because of what was happening. And then, of course, for years, we start to look at what happened to all the disciples and, and, and you know, afterward and how they were persecuted and, you know, how they were executed by the Romans and by the government. And so Christ uh, must have allowed that, but it was allowed, but it wasn't talked about. Nobody saw it. Now, of course, Peter was rebuked for what happened that day. But if we start to think, or that time, but if we start to think about it, they must have had them all the time, but nobody knew about it. They loved on everybody. They taught. They spread their word like they were supposed to, like, you know, they, they, as, as they were, you know, being obedient to God and to Jesus. And so that fits along with this piece of, I don't want uniforms and guns. It's okay to have a gun, conceal it, but let's train that person to be obedient, to be engaging, to be Christ-like. That's how, that's how this works. That's it, it's such a good lesson. And Again, so much of what you've talked about today, I think that a lot of us just do not think about, well, largely because we're not trained to, we, we just kind of cruise on past it because it's not, it's just not the way that our minds work. But it's so important to, to have someone like you come along, point these things out so that now we can act upon them and keep our children safe, do things excellently, and also engage in the mission as we go. Just really, really good points. And I'm very, very appreciative. No, thank you. Thank you. So, Michael, we are running low on time now, but I want you to tell everyone what exactly you do 
And, you know, are your, are, is this something that, that co-ops outside of middle Tennessee can actually take advantage of, or are there other groups like yours that they could engage with? Yeah, I can't speak to anyone that uh, any other uh, organization that does does it the way we do. But yes, so we work with ministries, co-ops all over the country. We're about to launch a learning management system because we can't, you know, we've had uh, requests to go all as far as, far as California to, to set up training. Sometimes there's there's limited resources to do that, so we can't travel. So in about a week and a half on our website, we'll have a learning management system set up. So this training I'm talking about, this awareness training is going to be available on our LMS. But yes, anywhere in Middle Tennessee, or if you've got the resources, you can contact us anytime. You can go to michaelmansecurityservices.com and you can get us at uh, contact at michaelmansecurityservices.com. That's the email address and it's on the website there. And uh, what we do is everything from basic planning, risk assessments, training for staff. We even provide uh, security personnel for ministries, you know, churches, co-ops, you name it. We can, we, you know, we can do pretty much anything about 50 to 60% of our work is is done with uh, faith-based organizations, uh, private school, private Christian schools, and with co-ops. Well, I really appreciate that information. And we'll be sure to link all of this so that it's very easy for those to those listening in to just go to the website, click on those links. We'll have the email address. We'll have your, your web address. And then actually this is, by the time this runs, I think you'll have everything up and running for your training and so on. So we'll make sure that we tell them how to to engage with that as well. So Michael, thank you again so much for joining us. It's been, it's really been a privilege. I'm very grateful for what you've shared. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You are very welcome to everyone else out there. I am confident that this has been as eye-opening to you as it has been to me. So I hope that you will take the time, pass this along to those in leadership at your co-op, at your church, at your school. If your kids are there, make sure that that those who are responsible for setting this stuff up is thinking in the way that Michael has kind of laid out for us here. Be sure that you check the links in the website so that you can learn even more about this and connect with Michael directly. So I hope that you have a great rest of your day and I look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you for joining me today. It's my prayer that every episode of the Homeschooling Families podcast helps to strengthen your family by giving you biblical and practical ways to raise your children and educate them well. We'd love to engage with you more, so check out teachthemdiligently.net to find out about the resources and experiences we offer Christian homeschooling families like yours all year long. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, You'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and a whole lot more. Mm-hmm.